1: Listeners, welcome to another episode of the Oxygen Starved Podcast, where we bring you your ABCs, adventure books, and conversation from 11,000 feet in the beautiful Eastern Sierra. And I am one of the trio that puts this thing on, co-host Christopher. And with me is...
2: I am co-host Stacy, and we have producer Doug.
1: Hey, Doug. Hey, guys. How's it going? It is going. Happy Friday. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) It's Friday. You are welcome. We record on Fridays, which is hence the punch drunk. Yes. nature of this current season so far. We try to tone it down.
2: Yeah. I think we're either like totally punch drunk or like just dragging.
1: <laughs> well, people don't want to listen to us dragging. Hopefully we'll chains. be
2: more in the middle.
1: <laughs> well, look, it's beautiful fall. It's mid, yes. By the time this comes out, it's mid-October. The leaves are changing. It's uh, The temperatures are great. Oh my gosh. People if, are in a good mood.
2: If you can come up here and see the colors and the beauty It is amazing. I I say this every year, I know.
1: You do. But that's all right. We all come every year.
2: It's just the truth of the matter (laughs) is that it's gorgeous.
1: So um, in amongst all those changing leaves um, is a buried a little bit of a history and so for our adventure this week we chose um, a little bit of the history of mammoth Lakes right yes
2: yeah and there's so there's so much to unpack when it comes to the history of mammoth Lakes and everything that has happened here everything from the the mining and the the settlers that that came during the gold rush time and mm-hmm. and all of that um, there's Every turn you make can lead you to (laughs) some new
1: story. Yeah, totally. And so uh, one of the... Turns that I enjoy making because it's a windy road yeah. up towards the lake. Space in his old mammoth road, yep. which may be the original road up. I'm not sure. It certainly feels like it sometimes.
2: Sometimes, yeah, <laughs> and well, and it gets really. It's also you know if you're into uh, hill training, it's the it's a great steep hill to try to run up. Yeah, for sure.
1: Totally. And yeah. there are often people running or biking it when I'm driving up. I don't know how anybody can <laughs> bike up there. <it. laughs> But about uh well, I don't know maybe halfway more than halfway up is a uh, there are a couple of markers there right, and so I'll mention one first because i mm-hmm. I really noticed it for the first time this summer um and it's the old mammoth city historical mm-hmm. marker back when this was a, a mining camp yep um and there are of course we've said this before you can't swing a cat in this county without hitting an um an old mine of some sort, but this is just opposite um mineral hill which is now known as red mountain and those were where the mammoth mines were located back in the 1870 1878 1879 it was a very brief yeah. period and typical of mining towns of the day a lot of it was just like you know canvas tents more than anything but it comes with it that yeah lore you know yeah and there's still a few
2: structures up there and the mm-hmm. big the big you know wheel water yeah. wheel is still there and They're really cool to go check out. Yeah. But we we actually stopped and lingered. We did, yeah. Yes, at a gravestone Mm -hmm. that's kind of, it's just kind of like there on the side of the road, and now they have a white picket fence surrounding it to kind Mm -hmm. of protect it. That wasn't here 20 years ago when when we moved up here, but um, it is the grave of Mary Townsend. And she was accidentally shot by her husband in 1881. It's kind of a tragic
1: story. (laughs) It sounds very tragic. It also sounds very Western. 1881 totally camp kind of thing. Well,
2: and, and beyond the fact that he accidentally shot her, there are other stories for oh. how that went down, okay. too, like <laughs> how she died. I mean, I've heard people say, oh, no, that's she, she wasn't shot, but her husband went out to go hunt for food, and then a snowstorm came, and he never made it back, and oh. she starved to death. Oh, my God. So I've also heard that story. <laughs> I don't know who who to believe, but this seems the the fact that she was accidentally shot seemed to be seems to be the most published mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. And um, she always wanted a white picket fence around her home, and hence the white picket fence around the
1: gravestone, so, which is really touching.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
1: But, it, it, you know, I was struck as we were standing there thinking like there is the history, the human history of where we lived tribal settlers, yeah. miners, the whole thing. Um, and a lot of that just gets eroded away mm-hmm. and forgotten about, right. right? And, you know, these mining camps st- struck up, live there for two, three years or whatever, saloons, whatever, whatever. And then they all pack up and go to the next mine. But there's probably people left behind buried.
2: Yes, and and that's the other question about this is that so there was a pioneer cemetery, mm-hmm. and this is the only gravestone that's left. Yeah. So you know the big question is, well, what happened to everybody else? What yeah. happened to all the other gravestones and markers and right and all that? And
1: I remember nobody really knows. Remember when we had um, Benton on as a guest, mm-hmm. uh, Bill Bramlett, yeah. and they were talking about uh, using laser imaging to -hmm. to discover graves that were no longer marked in the graveyard out at Benton. So I wonder if that's something that maybe they should consider here.
2: They should. Because, you know, who knows
1: who's... Who's down there. Who's
2: down there. Who's about to haunt Mammoth for Halloween. Yes. (laughs) You never know. But But, it's it's pretty cool, and it's a very touching little spot. And, you know, the interesting thing is that when I'm driving up and down that road, I... Always see people there.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, it just, there is always somebody there checking it out and paying respects. And, and that's kind of
1: nice. The white picket fence yeah. pulls you off the road. It, it is. It does.
2: Nice. It definitely does.
1: That's a great adventure.
2: It was fun. It was such It was, it was a nice day when we went out yeah,
1: there, too. It was. was Tramped around. So, so we have a good yeah. a number of adventures lined up. So yes. uh, stay tuned for the next one. And in the meantime, we'll be back in a minute to talk about books.
0: Oxygen. A colorless, odorless reactive gas, the chemical element of atomic number 8 and the life-supporting component of the air. Starved. Suffering a severe and damaging lack of basic material and cultural benefits. Oxygen Starved Podcast. A colorless, odorless culture-packed, nutritious podcast considering books, describing Mono County adventure, and engaging in informative conversation with colorful Eastside Sierra locals. Download it now.
2: Welcome back, listeners, to the book section of the podcast. This week, we are going to just talk about books we are reading now. Which yeah. I always
1: enjoy. Yeah, because we we have the assignments that we give ourselves, the books that we read in a certain genre, or that yes. we read together. But we still make time to read just for ourselves. Absolutely,
2: and sometimes those assignments push me out of my comfort zone a little bit. Have to admit,
1: which <laughs> they is a do. Good,
2: which I think is a good thing. That's the point, right? But, so, Christopher, what tell us about the book you're reading?
1: Yeah, so I just finished a, a really good book. It's called Mercury Pictures Presents by Anthony Mara. Just came out in August. I think Um, yeah and so real quickly Anthony Morris he's an award winning author he hasn't written many books but he gets a lot of attention and reading this book I understand why the story is about a young Well, there's three protagonists, but the main protagonist is this young Maria Lagana, um, who by 1941, she's working at the struggling Hollywood studio called Mercury Pictures. It's not a big studio like MGM or Warner Mm -hmm. Brothers. It's one of these B kind of second rate studios. And she's got a job there kind of as an associate producer and this general fix it person for her boss, the studio boss, Artie Feldman. And Artie is one of the second protagonists. He's kind of like this middle-aged, struggling, vain dude. He's got multiple toupees. You learn this very early <laughs> on. It's kind of a comedic thing around that. And he is about, this is 1941, and he is about to go to testify in front of Congress with other studio heads because there was this fear that Hollywood was pushing the country into war. Uh-huh. And so um, he's getting prepared for that. And he really relies on Maria to help him navigate these things. And as well, her special skill is helping um, get controversial films, movies, past the Hollywood censors. The,
2: Which was very strict yeah, back then. The Hays
1: Code and all yeah. this stuff. And so the story flashes back and you learn that Maria has picked up the knack for getting things past censors in her years of writing letters with her father back in Italy, who is actually in a fascist prison camp mm. under Mussolini, right? He was kind of like a socialist mm-hmm. kind of yep. thing and Mussolini was putting everyone in prison. So you learn how he ended up there and how Maria ended up emigrating to Hollywood with her mother to live with her, her three. Three um, the widowed aunts who already lived in California. They had just, they had left Italy much 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 long earlier before that. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give away any part of that story. That's part of the story. This is very much a character driven novel, which I love. I like yeah. those. It's not oh, there's a lot of plot here, but it's not like the, it's not like an action moving kind of novel it's more about what's going on through people's minds and what have you and i think the author's greatest skill here is just like building up this epic cast of entertaining characters around maria around her father and around her boss that kind of propel this story mm-hmm. forward in kind of funny ways and heartwarming ways and in kind of tragic ways um because this is all in the time period coming out of the depression and leading into world war Two. okay so um He often gives these characters little backstories of their own, like little asides, and they can themselves be kind of funny. Um, I'll read a little bit about um, just one paragraph where he describes the three aunts, Maria's Uh three great aunts. And they're kind of like, I describe them as kind of like a comedic Southern Italian version of Macbeth's Witches um, (laughs) living in a prefab bungalow in Southern California. (laughs) But they bring their Italian spirit with them. So they, Maria and her mother have just emigrated to the United States. They're shacking up with her aunts and Maria is getting used to living with three old ladies who have all this Catholic stuff throughout the house, including little plaster figurines of saints. So I'm, I didn't grow up Catholic. Stacey, you might have some experience here, but listen to this paragraph. So this is Maria. The saints watched over it all a dozen plaster figurines stood sentry throughout the house in little shrines encircled with votive candles and withered fronds from Palm Sunday's pasts. The boys, as Lala called them, she's one of the aunts, Pep, another aunt, could rattle off their names and patronage like a broadcaster reeling through the batting order and career stats. The figurines, part of a series sold by the Los Angeles Diocese, were each depicted in their martyrdom, affixed with arrows or striped with claw marks, hemmed in by flame or cradling decapitated heads. (laughs) Love that. Maria couldn't brush her teeth or sneak a late night snack without confronting the torment of some hapless martyr. Her great aunt's understanding of Catholicism was so fickle you couldn't really call it monotheism. It was more of a protection racket. (laughs) Mimi, Lala, and Pep, the three aunts, provided prayers and offerings and expected each saint to deliver on his patronage. If a saint failed to keep up his end of the bargain, maybe would nice and casually leave a hammer beside the figurine. If the saint continued to malinger, he would find himself hostage to escalating ultimatums that ended in his re-martyrdom. <laughs> so, you know, you just he, he just paints this picture and in that one little paragraph, you learn all about the inside of the house, right. how they feel about religion yes. and these Three aunts, like, and and that continues. That flavor of writing continues through the entire book, which is kind of fun for it, me.
2: Is there, you know, it's interesting that the main protagonist, that she is this working single woman back in nineteen forties, mm-hmm. living with these three Catholic aunts. Is don't they want her to get married? Oh, I think yeah. Is that a big? Subtext, or...
1: yeah, that doesn't she doesn't escape that, right? Okay. And there's some there's a, some juicy controversy in there. You know, one of the things he, the writer says about the ants is that they were all widowed very young, which oh. which was considered beneficial because then they could live their lives as widows. <laughs> and the other thing that he says is like, you know, Southern Italian women from Calabria, you either died as you, if you were lucky, you died young. If you weren't, you were cursed to live until your 90s. So these women have long lives. life trajectories, yeah. and he riffs on that throughout yeah. every time they appear and other characters kind of get that same same treatment. um So really just to wrap it up, the novel itself kind of goes back and forth between these three protagonists in terms of perspective. So you're transported between kind of like um, Maria's working actor streets of Hollywood, the upper echelons of the Hollywood's elite class Mm -hmm. with Artie, and then with her father, the work camps of Southern Italy where Mussolini and the Nazis were kind of like taking turns crushing any Italian who tried to think differently than the Mm -hmm. fascists, right? Yeah. and, you know, the novel is a great, great novel. It's probably not going to win a Pulitzer, but it's a really entertaining read. And as I've said about other things before, I found it to be like a Coen Brothers movie. That <laughs> It's got this crackling narrative. It's really witty dialogue and a rogues gallery of characters to shine a light on life's little and big injustices, you know, especially during World War II. Um, and, and he does like the. Injustices of the studio system, uh, the built-in racism, Maria's boyfriend is Asian, and he's a really great actor, but he's resigning himself to the fate that he'll never play Hamlet. Right. Um, And then, you know, that Catholicism, that flavor Mm -hmm. of Southern Italian Catholicism that is kind of described as a protection racket, which I love. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the book would make a good film adaptation. (laughs) The Coen Brothers will pick it up. Um, You know, in in fact, reading the sections that take place in Southern Italy and the work camps, it reminded me of those post-war Italian movies that I love that kind of gave us Marcello Mastroianni Mm -hmm. and Sophia Loren, these gritty, sepia-toned, movies with sly humor and grit in the face of adversity. Yeah. That really comes across the the penchant for doing something truly heartwarming and life-saving but shrugging it off like it never happened kind yeah. of thing that you often see in those stories. Um, you get a lot of that out of this book. There's a lot of other characters and some other subplots in this book that I just don't have time to talk about. Mm-hmm. You're just getting the, the Big hits here, Um, and I'm certainly not going to give away the ending. But it's an ending that will warm your heart.
2: Well, that it sounds great. It reminds me a little bit of the Dream Merchants. A little bit, you know, it takes kind of some of the same time frame that Dream Merchants was very expansive in its time frame. But you know, I see little nuggets of
1: yeah, that kind of. Classic Hollywood story where there are a lot of people escaping the war in Europe and coming to Mm -hmm. Hollywood to write scripts and build sets. You know, like major artists work on this stuff. And that's kind of a subthread in this book as well. It's Mercury Pictures Presents by Anthony Mara. Sounds good. So your read sounded good, Stace. Can you tell us about it? My read is just this
2: little book. Um, I looked up the definition of novella to see Mm -hmm. if it, but it. The definition about of, of novella that I read dealt with numbers of words, oh, okay. and, and I wasn't counting, you so I can't count do, the words. We'll go with novel. <laughs> okay, it's called Love and Saffron. It's by Kim Faye. This is an epistolary novel, so mm-hmm. it's told all through letters. I don't know that I've ever read one of these, a book that's told all through letters before. This, I mean, it's purely letter. I love it, driven, and it's just. It's lovely. It's it's very short. It could be... If you have the time, you could read it in one day. That's great. I, I don't, so it took me a couple of nights, but mm-hmm. it was really great. Um, it's The book starts out, it's 1962, and Joan Bergstrom, she's 27. She lives in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. She writes a fan letter of sorts to Imogene Fortier, 48, and... Um, And Imogene's probably in her late 50s. She's married. She writes a monthly column for a magazine in the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. She does not have any children. Um, She lives with her husband. And the two of them start this unlikely friendship from this letter. So Joan writes um, Imogene a letter And also sends her a sample of saffron, Mm -hmm. and um, hence the title. Yes, the spice, and because it was based on this this article that Joan had read, Mm -hmm. or that that Imogen wrote and that Joan read. And over the next four years, they become the closest of friends. Um, Age doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You know that's completely irrelevant. The difference in their ages that Imogen could be Joan's mother is not a factor. Um, and over time their letters become more deep and thoughtful and they share secrets and of course recipes. Mm -hmm. Um, so there is kind of this theme of cooking and ingredients and, um, what you find from the people you meet Mm -hmm. in terms of what they cook and what, what they cook with and things like that. Um, they only meet over all those four years, they only meet in person one time. Really? Really? Yes. And Imogen flies down to Los Angeles to surprise Joan. And the reason she, I'm not going to give away the reason she does this, but there's a very specific, very sweet reason why she does this. Um, And, you know, throughout it all, it's not, this was such a pivotal time in our country, 1962 to 1966. And all of that noise, all of that everything that was going on in the world and mm-hmm. in the country at that time really doesn't factor in um, except for the Ken- Kennedy assassination. Right. So they do talk about that and that, that is kind of a pivotal point of several letters. And I should say their letters don't come like week to week to mm-hmm. week. You know, there sometimes there are months between mm. their, their letters. Um, but It's a very, the author does a great thing at the very end in her author's notes. She includes the article that inspired Joan, that would have inspired Joan to write to Imogen. Oh, that's great. So I thought that was so clever and so cool a thought, you know, to add. Like, what would it, you know, so we all know what would it have taken for Joan to write that first letter? That's amazing. And, You know, when I was reading this book, I found myself smiling the whole time, like just as I was reading. And there were a couple of times where Mm -hmm. I laughed out loud Mm -hmm. um, and then I cried at the end. Yeah. So it was really, it was really great. It was one of the most enjoyable books I've read in a long time and I even I even talked about it to my family like, oh you guys this book and I don't think as I was reading it that I was aware how sh- short it was and yeah. so when it ended I was like oh disappointed
1: oh. <laughs> that's good that's an ending that you found valuable it, it, you yeah, a rich ending it
2: was, yeah it was yeah and I I really like these women and yeah. you know I, oh they would just they would be cool to meet now
1: you know I like reading epistolary and novels. There aren't that many out there anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, because we were discussing just before we were went on air, people don't write letters like this anymore. They write emails and there are novels out there in email form. Um, but you know, the challenge and the, and the reward of writing and reading an epistolary novel is there's usually not a separate narration. It's usually just the letters in between, between the different protagonists. And when you think about the act of writing a letter, it's not a conversation. You're, you're focusing and you're giving thought and weight to the words and how you want this person to read it Yeah, and having that back and forth in letter form is kind of to me it's just fascinating to read how the author makes that work
2: it it really is it's really neat and how she differentiates just in the letters between these two women who on some level are very similar Mm -hmm. you know they kind of have similar sensibilities about the world and what's Mm -hmm. happening in the world and so the, you know, the fact that you can very clearly draw who the women are and not just from their age, mm-hmm. you know, that's, I think, pretty remarkable. And, you know, as I w- we were talking before we recorded this and it just made me miss getting letters. Like, I you know, I remember in college getting letters mm. from my parents and getting letters from my friends and how Mm. fun that was to open a letter and read what is happening in somebody else's life on the other side of the country. And I feel that it is so sad that my kids don't have, don't get that experience. And when Tessa goes to college next year, she won't have that. She'll do the Snapchatty the thing and the app and the You know, (laughs) all of those things, the be real, I, I don't know, you know, they'll do all that to keep in touch, but it's Mm -hmm. not the same as getting a letter.
1: Yeah. Cause you, you, like you think about it, when you were in college writing letters to your folks, you sat down and decided what is the most important thing that Mm I want to talk about first, right? right?" And you kind of, you organize things, right? And, and you really made those page counts count.
2: Yeah. So. right exactly and you only had so much time so you had to be like
1: compact with right. word, word choice is very important and you and if there were important letters you saved them right and now they're yes. in a shoebox somewhere right for yeah. someone to read 50 years from now
2: absolutely yeah. i just well this is love and saffron by kim Fay. it is if it is a great little novel good job kim faye yeah. and um I, I can't encourage you enough to check it out
1: And we will put both titles on our website and Instagram so you can find them on your own. And we will be back shortly with our special guest. Stay tuned.
0: You're dialed in to Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet, originating from the slopes of Mammoth Mountain in Mono County, California. You can find us at SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. iTunes. You can find us at oxygenstarvedpodcast.com. Just make sure you find us. Welcome back
1: listeners to the See the Conversation portion of our podcast, where we bring you a local person from the East Side who contributes uniquely to our live, work, play lifestyle over here in the Eastern Sierra. And today we are really privileged that the CEO of the Tri-County Fairgrounds, Jen McGuire, has made time to speak with us today. Welcome, Jen.
3: Hi, Jen. Hi, thanks for having me. i Appreciate
1: it. Well, we appreciate it. And I think I may have mentioned to you in passing, uh, in the last episode or the episode before, I... Talked at length about my love for the Demolition Derby and <laughs> sitting <laughs> in the fairgrounds and it occurring to me that, uh, you know, the fairgrounds is really a place that brings people together. So we were glad that you could come here and talk about it today because I'm not sure a whole lot of our public get to meet a CEO of a fairground. So,
3: well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Okay. So uh, we always like to add, start off the interview by asking you, what's your origin story in the Eastern Sierra, Jen? Where, where are you from? What brought you here?
3: I am originally from Ventura County. It's a small farming community, a little town called Fillmore. Bishop reminds me a lot of Fillmore. All the kids are involved in 4-H, FFA, FFA. Friday night football games are just packed. Um, the business is shut down downtown just for that football game. Everybody <laughs> celebrates the CIF championships or the right. playoff games. And Bishop really reminds me a lot of my hometown. Um, I came from Ventura County. I grew up up here uh, as a family. We would come up for mule days. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents are in the, the farming and ranching community and we come up from old days. I did a little bit of high school rodeo back in the day oh, wow, and did some high school rodeoing up here. And as, as I got older and got married, we actually uh, owned a few condos up here and my in-laws. Mm-hmm. And so I've spent a lot of time up here in the Eastern Sierra and I just loved it. And I, I was really hoping to get back up here one day and I wanted to wait for the right opportunity. Mm-hmm. And uh, the CEO job um, jumped out at me and I decided to go for it, and i I really didn't think I'd get it. Honestly, Um, I just thought, oh, I'll just try it, and let's see what happens. And I was ready for a change, and uh, here I am.
1: (laughs) The opportunity (laughs) came, and it landed in your lap. That's awesome.
2: So, what does a event or a CEO of
3: a fairgrounds like? What's your job entail? Well, I manage the entire facility. We're eighty-eight acres. Wow. Um, We are a state fairgrounds, but we're not state funded. So okay. it's kind of funny. It's kind of weird. We have to follow all the state policies, rules, that kind of thing, regulations, but we are not state funded. So, um, we have, we're self funded. So okay. you have to be creative. I have a, a extensive marketing background. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just managing the facility. It's a true community center, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fairgrounds are special because they're in need of, um, they're the place to go in crisis. They're the place to go in good times, bad times. They're yeah. your local evac center. Right. Um, so there's so many purposes and so many responsibilities of a fairgrounds and trying to keep it running, trying to keep the lights on, trying <laughs> to keep the doors open, um, trying to keep the grass green, that kind of thing is uh, is quite the chore. It, it's a 24-7, seven days a week. It's not a 9-to-5, Monday-through-Friday type job.
2: I'll bet I have gone to so many different types of events mm-hmm. and activities at the fairgrounds, like everything from duck raised duck shooting, I don't know what if, what they're called, dinners for ducks. Okay. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. Yes. Ducks Unlimited. The, yeah. Ducks, yeah. <laughs> ducks Unlimited. Or, you know, I mean, I've gone to weddings there and, you know, the, the big of course the big events that that everybody knows and loves. But I mean it's just such a variety of things happening there. All, we've we've done trainings there for for schools. It's
3: just oh, absolutely. We have um, like I said, it's eighty eight acres. I mean, it's it's a place that four H meets. It's a place mm-hmm. for the Lions Club to meet. Mm-hmm. Um, just the fair itself um, is such a community spirited event. I, I want the public to know that when they pay that ten dollars to get through the gate, mm-hmm. it doesn't all go to the fairgrounds. I totally. mean, we mm-hmm. spread the love. We really buy local. We support local. Um part of that money goes to we employ um the baseball team, the football oh. team, the mm-hmm. drill team, the color guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, they come and they help out and they make money. So it makes it makes their their experience a little more enjoyable um on mm-hmm. playing playing on the sports. Um, as well as um all the nonprofits like the Lions Club and Altrusa, um 4-H, FFA, um, gosh uh, rotary clubs yeah. um they all come and and when people spend money with them that money goes back in the community in terms yeah. of scholarships and different right. grant programs and mm-hmm. type of events so the fairgrounds is really important to the community it's yeah. it's, it's it's very very important
1: it's That's interesting cuz um i was just thinking back as you two were just talking like i've been there in the last year or or so a to mm-hmm. Vote or to help help with the election in one of the buildings. In another building, I went and got my COVID tests, and then walking out from one of those, there was a group doing violin lessons out in the grassy part in the center. And I was thinking, like, this is a real, mm-hmm. you know, I I don't know how other to say it than it is a community space. That a lot, of, and I know that there are horses probably grazing in a pasture nearby, and other meetings happening. It's just like all sorts of different stuff happening in that little bend of. Main Street and 395 in Bishop.
3: Yeah, that's true. You know, during the pandemic, we had to get really creative. Yeah. We, you know, <laughs> As everyone else, we were shut down. But we took a, a section of the back horse pasture mm-hmm. and made, built a drive-in. And the drive-in was built out of all recycled materials. It's awesome. just stuff we found on grounds. We decided let's try it let's do this and we did it and i'll never forget opening night we had 300 cars back there for oh. urban cowboy oh you know we, we did it bishop style with <laughs> urban cowboy i love it um we brought the local theater out um she was able to sell popcorn and concessions because mm-hmm. she couldn't open right. up um we, we brought in other different different groups and different food companies different restaurants different food trucks and we spread the love a little bit yeah. so they all got to benefit but that's just part of it the community all came together we got all these donated items we built a drive-in and we had drive-in movies during the pandemic. So I love so that. great. Do you, st- are you still doing those at all? Unfortunately, the wind, um, <laughs> took down oh. the drive-in on um, this past year, oh. but we have a huge, a great interest of wanting to rebuild it. So yeah. I think we will rebuild it. There's nothing better. That, I mean, it's just so beautiful out there to watch a movie out there. What a yeah. great, um, I, what a great idea. Oh, That's it was, amazing. It's amazing. We actually won a, uh, it's like the Oscars of the fair industry. We won a Merrill <laughs> award for that. That's awesome. Wow. Some other fair nominated me and right. um as doing this great community thing and um we got this award and, and Bishop's never brought home that type of award. That's wow. brilliant. Yeah. That's so so cool. it was it was really exciting. Um we're pretty um you know to compete in the fair industry, you know, you're going up against the state fairs, the Orange County right. fairs, the Del Mar mm-hmm. fairs. And a lot of times people go Bishop, where's that? Yeah. yeah. You have a fair? Oh, I know about mule days, but you actually have a county fair too. <laughs> yeah. um, so it was very, I was honored that we were nominated yeah. and then we won. That was, again, it was like an Oscar moment for us. So. That's brilliant. And it just, again, it goes true. It just shows you what the community can do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I'm sure you felt it up here during the pandemic. And, sure. And it, that that's, that spirit has never gone away. It's actually just grown and gotten stronger. Um. And I'm just proud of that. I'm proud to be part of that.
1: Well, can you tell for our listeners who aren't, you know, there are those who come through town for mule days and those who come down. Th- for Labor Day and everything, can you tell a little bit about the fairgrounds calendar? Those probably are probably the two biggest events, I would imagine, for you during the year. Like, what is the what does the calendar kind of look like?
3: Yeah, we um, we're, we're pretty much known for Mule Days, which is May Memorial Weekend. We're known for the High School Rodeo State Finals, which is June. Mm. Um, that's pr- a pretty big event, and of course, we're known for the County Fair, which mm. is Labor Day weekend. Um, I've really tried to put in um, events all year round. So now we've got we've got motorsports, we've got monster trucks, we've got tractor pulls. Yeah. I'm starting to pull back in some motocross and try to correlate it when they have the motocross up here in Mammoth. So it, cool. it's a wide interest there. Um, Eastern Sierra Pride, the Pride Festival right. was held there this year and that was huge. And I was so, I was so proud of our community and so honored to be part of that celebration. That's awesome. Um, we do summer concerts in the park. Um, um, I'm really gonna try to get. I really think our, our fairgrounds and our this area could be a really neat eclectic music mm-hmm. um, center, and mm-hmm. I really want to get some really neat bands down there. Awesome, and, um, That'd be great, and work with some promoters. And mm-hmm. um, one thing we did this year for the fair was a little bit different. We really embraced the Hispanic community. Good, and we had a Hispanic concert, which has never been done, and um, we'll do more of those. You'll see more of that, that. Mm-hmm. and that's I think it's it's that's really needed in our community.
1: I love that. That's great.
3: Do you have a a favorite event that you put on every year? You know, I think my favorite is is the high school rodeo state finals because those athletes, those kids, they have to maintain a certain GPA Mm -hmm. and they're athletes and they have to wear their back numbers everywhere they go. I don't care if they're going to float the river, they're going to go have dinner somewhere, (laughs) they have to wear those back numbers. Mm -hmm. And they are true, I mean talking about stewards of the community and just growing up to be great citizens and leaders right. of our world. Everything's no sir. Yes, ma'am. They're so polite. Yeah. And, uh, I just, I just, I like that. They're just, mm-hmm. um, it gives you hope for the world. Yeah. You know, when, when you see these young leaders um, rising up,
1: you certainly see them around town. You know, we, we all mm-hmm. know when they're in town because of that, they're yeah. wearing those numbers. It's so great.
2: That, that would probably be my favorite too. Anything <laughs> yes. with kids. Yes. I, yes. Gravitate to, so it sounds like it's a very very busy job. Do you have free time, and
3: if so, what what
2: do you like to do when you're not at work?
3: I am. Uh, my son is deaf, oh. so I do a lot with him when I can. He's 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 twenty five. He's a man now, mm-hmm. um, but I do a lot with the deaf community. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope to incorporate some of that down at the fair at some point. So so look for something mm-hmm. that incorporates the deaf community a little bit. Um, like everyone else up here, I love to hike and fish, go yeah. in the back country. Um, winter seems to be a little more quieter for me than, than summer and spring. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, again, I'm always trying to, uh, think of new ideas, bring new events, one event I just booked today is we're going to have a ladies' night out. Uh-huh. Chippendale yeah. style. Oh, oh no. yeah. So we're going to do something new. Um, Magic Mike is in Bishop. Exactly. Yeah. That's going to be in November next month. It's just going to be a quick little show. They're coming through oh, and that's put it on hilarious. your calendar states. <laughs> I know. <What>
1: <gasps> that is so funny. We've got
3: something for everyone. I was going to that say. That's great. That's great.
1: Well, you certainly keep busy. You certainly are yeah. enjoying living up here. You're making the most of it, it sounds like. Um, but do you have time to read or is there something, you know, this is a book podcast
3: and we always ask our guests, is there a, a particular book you would recommend to our listeners? Well, I've been researching the history of the fair. Because I really wanted to know, Is are we celebrating our 100th year, our 75th yeah. year? Where mm-hmm. are we at at the fair? Mm-hmm. And um, I've been reading, actually been skimming through the... Um, County of Inyo, the history of the County of Inyo, written by Chalfont. Right. And I recently discovered that the first one-day fair, which was a stock show, Mm -hmm. was October 1st, 1885. Wow, In Bishop. In Bishop. That's awesome. And then later it rotated between Bishop, Independence, and Big Pine. Eventually, the 18th District Ag Association was formed, which is what we're officially Mm -hmm. formally called in the state's eyes, and um, it went from there. Interesting enough, um, I never really understood the history of the city of Los Angeles and and everything up here in the valley, but even back then, they were prominent up here. Sure. So that was, yeah. that was very interesting to read.
1: Yeah. And no, that's a very classic Eastern Sierra book. You, we have copies in every one of our libraries. You see it, copies available in the bookstore. Um, Chalfont was a local historian and a newspaper man, and among other things, he's the origin of the name Chalfont Valley on the east side mm-hmm. of Mono County. Um, mm-hmm. I encourage all of our listeners, if, you, if you're not familiar with the book, it is kind of an eye opener into the history of, uh, oh, yeah. of our area. And it provided a resource for you. I, I'm just curious, when you first wanted to find out when that first fair was, where did you think to go first? Did you go to the museum in Independence? Where did you, or did you just go to the bookstore?
3: I actually spoke to a few of the locals, Mm -hmm. and they recommended that book. Yeah. And so some of the local longtime families, and uh, they highly recommended it. That's and, awesome. And I've been I've been kind of glued to it ever since. <laughs> There's some great facts in there. <laughs> there is. I hope to have a history of the history of the fairgrounds display somewhere. Oh, right. Be um, so just for cool. educational purposes. Yeah. yeah. That would be really that neat.
1: That would that would be very neat. That is a book we will put the link to that book on our website and Instagram. Um, we do have copies in the library so we will help other people discover that book as well. Listen, Jen, thank you for making time for us today. This has been fascinating. I th- think a lot of our listeners are going to enjoy this one. So, Thank
2: you very much. Well, we appreciate yeah. you coming up from... Down south and Bishop. Like I said, it's a treat. It's a treat to drive up that hill to Mammoth. So thank you very much. Oh, <laughs> well, we're really glad you did. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for this episode of the Oxygen Starved Podcast. We hope you will continue to join us over the coming weeks. In the meantime, please find us on our Instagram page, O2 Starved, and our website, oxygenstarvedpodcast.com. Oxygen Oxygen Starved <laughs> Let us know how your fall is going. And in the meantime, take care. We'll see you soon.
1: Bye.
0: Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod in Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.